The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. I met Dylan Sinti on LinkedIn and was immediately compelled to reach out to him to get him on my podcast because one of the things he's working on right now is renovating old properties. And if anyone else has heard any of these conversations that I've had over the past five years or so, you probably know that I live in a house built in 1890, which by some East Coast Connecticut standards is young, but from the West, an 1890 Victorian home is probably pretty old. And we've done a lot of remodeling of this house. So I love this idea of Dylan and his brother Jake's business. It's a real estate company, and they are taking old properties and breathing new life into them. So Dylan, thank you so much for joining me today on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I got so excited when I started, when I watched your uh, intro video, it didn't exactly tell the story mm -hmm. of your interest in this. And so I'm, I'm hoping to get into that. But let's start as I love to start with my guests and have you share something with our audience that most people might not know about you. And I love this because it gives another perspective, just an added dimension to the person that they're going to get to know over the next 40 minutes or so. Yes, that's a great, it's a great question. And I've heard some of your other episodes. So I've heard uh, just really thoughtful responses from, from other guests. Uh, so I was thinking about this one. Um, I think for me, what, what, uh, what people may not know about what people wouldn't know just just meeting me or 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 looking at me i suppose is that i uh i went to an alternative high school and um a, a high school that was really built around communal learning it's called community high school in ann arbor and um and i was unaware at the time you know when i was in high school of what a what a kind of singular experience it was because um the the way that they developed the curriculum was really about individualized learning and um, and just like emphasizing communication over you know strict retention and retention of scientific facts or retention of um, math formulas etc. Et and so it was a uh, it was a really unique environment to be in. And I met some of my best friends there. Um, and I remember that we would, uh, this is a little pretentious, but I remember that we would, you know, one of our, the activities that we would do going into, we would go into bookstores and we would have a con, we would compare, uh, you know, who's, who read more books on a given shelf. And at the time I thought that that was a normal thing to do. And, and later <laughs> I realized, oh man, that was probably, probably pretty, uh, sophomoric maybe, the word. but <laughs> But, um, but I, but I mentioned the school because it wasn't, I'm really, uh, um, I, I, I'm really committed to, to education. And I, I guess I didn't come to value the quality, uh, and the openness of the education I received until later. Um, and I'm 32 now. And I, I, I think back often on just just what a uniquely stimulating uh environment it was and and it really helped me to come out of my shell to get more comfortable writing and expressing myself and to be um you know start to understand who who I am as a person so i feel like a lot of my formative development took place you know over those 4 years um that i was lucky to have there Wow. I can I can only imagine because I've had a completely the opposite experience in mm -hmm. my learning and also watching our two sons go through school is pretty much the opposite of experience of what you had. And um, hearing that you're just starting to recognize or have recently started to recognize the value of what you received there. 
what would you say to a, a high school freshman who isn't experiencing your experience? I would say to find another, to find, to look for a community that where you can um, extend your education, where you can find a group of people who are like-minded or who will nourish that part of you that is not being um, sort of uh, in, indulged, I guess, um, you know, find whether it's a local community group or, or even online, you know, some kind of group of, of like-minded people, just find ways to, enrich your education outside of the classroom if you're not getting that in, in the classroom. Um, I work with an organization called After School Matters that's based in Chicago. And the great thing about that organization is a lot of the kids who are uh, involved in, in ASM come from underprivileged backgrounds and, and they don't have access to the quality of education that I was lucky enough by living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, to have uh, and and for them going to this after school program um, and and really being among um, you know I guess I suppose like minded people is a way to augment the education that they're getting in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I would I would recommend that for for anybody. That's awesome. I love that idea, and it it goes along with some of what um, happens here. And we live in a small town in Montana. It's the capital, Helena, but it's really uh, yeah. only about 30 or 35,000 people in the city. And then you have, you know, the surrounding area that comes into the city to work at government agencies and those that serve the government agencies. And what I found is that when people would move here, they would really struggle because it's it could be pretty clicky. People who've lived here their whole lives or um, people who found their community and don't really necessarily aren't particularly welcoming to others. And mm -hmm. one of the things that um, a conversation I had with a couple of different people over the years is that you need to go to places where you think you're going to meet people that will will share your um curiosity. Mm. So I, I like to call it like-hearted because right now more than ever, like-minded sounds like um, the silo of thought. Yes. So like-hearted is more about the curiosity and um, being driven to learn and listen to lots of different perspectives and not get sucked into one, one side or the other of conversation. Mm. So um I've had at least three different people come back to me years later and say, I went to the library and I joined this book club and that's how I met my community of people. Or I started hiking. I got a dog and I started hiking oh, on the trails nearby. And I started meeting all these other people that are doing what I'm doing out there. And now we hike together and we go have coffee together and we're in book clubs together. And so that's how they've found their communities. And I can imagine in high school, it might be a little harder, but one of the things I know my sons did is they made friends with the people who seemed like they were left out. Mm -hmm. And that seems to have created interesting community as well. Are they in high school now or? No, they're, they're out of high school. They're 22 and 25 now. Oh, cool. So they went through college COVID. Well, I guess the, the 25 well, year old was yeah. probably out by well, uh, the 25-year-old took some classes and then in 2020 just was not doing well academically. So he's going back shortly, um, but he took some time to try to figure out what he wants to do. And then the younger one is actually um, very close to graduating, but took another year off, another year off. And he's a lot like his mother. He has changed <laughs> majors like five times. And so they're they're making their way. And that's I, again, I think this is part of the, the education that they experienced was that they weren't encouraged to be curious the way mm. you were. They weren't encouraged to build a community of people who were curious and reading and um, wanting to explore outside of their circle. Mm -hmm. So luckily, I mean, our kids were definitely encouraged outside of school to continue to augment that what they were receiving. Um, but it's, it's hard in smaller towns, especially in rural America to find people that you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a limited pool. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And, so, uh, and I'd encourage parents if you're listening and you have kids that are experiencing what my kids experienced, 
pay attention to what Dylan is saying about finding a community of kids who are curious. And that may be at the library. That is always a good place to meet people who are curious. Um, and of course, sports helps, but yeah, I, I, my, my guidance is to bring in community into your home, create Mm -hmm. it. And that's what we did here in Helena. And I attribute a lot of my children's success and loving personhood, I guess, to the community we built as opposed to it being just the parents. That's great. Yeah. I I really like that. And and I think uh, I did, when I got to college, I found, I went to university of Michigan and, I, f- I found that I was suddenly uh, very out of my depth and felt really out of place and lonely and all of that. And, and then I realized I had to do the work of finding the kind of community that I had b- basically taken for granted in, in high school um, mm-hmm. just to feel less lonely day to day. And so I, I ended up joining the, the college newspaper and that was a way of making this big place a lot smaller for me. Um, finding like-hearted individuals. I like that term. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'll probably (laughs) start using that. (laughs) Please Um, do. And, uh, and, and just feeling a little bit more comfortable. So um, definitely. I love that joining the newspaper. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I love what you just said that, you know, joining the newspaper made this really huge place feel smaller and that that makes so much sense to me. So what was one of the stories or one of the experiences when you were working with the newspaper that the, that's memorable to you? Um there were there are so many because I was uh I was I was a city beat reporter and so because I was from Ann Arbor uh, and a lot of the, the a lot of the people who were on the newspaper had come from like New York or California uh cuz a lot of uh, people on either coast come in f- to U of M. Um, and so they put me on the city beat because they knew that I was from Ann Arbor and that I would probably know, um, you know, I suppose more about the city than, uh, than, than, than most. And, um, so I got to do a lot of really, really cool stories about local politicians. And I think one of the, one of the, the most memorable story is that, um, I had a, uh, a student at University of Michigan who was running for the Washtenaw County Board of Commissioners. Um, and he, uh, he, um, I remember that I followed his entire campaign. Um, and he was, you know, at the time he was sort of an, an underdog. Uh, and as his campaign got, gained momentum, he realized he began to realize, Oh, I I actually have a pretty good shot at this. And so I got to cover the whole progression of his uh, realizing that he was a serious candidate. And then the most memorable part is that um, on election day, I was with him just kind of, you know, being of trying to be a fly on the wall uh, and capture the experience of being this 22 year old, aspiring politician and watching the votes come in he ended up winning by one vote and so (gasps) and so my story the story that i wrote ended up being picked up by various outlets and i remember it was on the radio somewhere because it became this great rallying cry to get out there and vote look at the power of one vote to shape um you know a a a pretty consequential local position um, and this guy ended up going on to serve in the in the uh, Michigan House of Representatives and is a um, just a really stand up guy. But that that whole experience and being able to tell that story was um, again, like like I was saying about my experience at community high school, one of these uh, one of these moments where you just afterwards you feel so lucky, like, wow, I, I got to tell that story. And what an important story that is. Wow. I love that. That is so meaningful. And, and I we got a, I, I apologize yeah, to interrupt, no. but we got we got a photo because they say a photo is worth a, 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 a picture is worth a thousand words. And I'd written 
thousands of words about him. But the photo we captured was the precise moment when they told him it's one vote and you won it. And his face just this sort of dumbfounded expression. And we and our photographer got that exact uh, shot. Um, and then they demanded a recount, of course, because it's one vote. So they demanded a recount. And it turns out he had won by two votes. So uh, <laughs> it was a great story. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> to be part of that is just so incredible. Uh, yeah, it really was. To, just to have a seat at the table and and um and and it was also a good exercise in journalistic integrity because there was a big part of me personally, emotionally that wanted that got really invested in this story and wanted him to uh <laughs> to win. And as a journalist, I had to realize, well, no, I have to be impartial. And my job here is not to get any have any sort of personal investment in this, but uh instead to just be the objective outlet telling the story. So it it was it was edu- helpful in that way too. <laughs> that is a huge challenge. Yeah. Because you know how you're gonna vote, but how do you tell the story without sounding like you're trying to persuade people one way or another? Exactly. Just trying to observe. Wow. Journalistic integrity. It's a thing. And it's obviously a a really big issue right now. I kind of wish you were still in that business so that we could actually get some real um, (laughs) objective news. (laughs) Me too. It's really unlikely these days. Wow. Okay. So here you are, uh, you leave college, you've been a journalist, you you have for for the duration of your career, there are a lot of hops and skips and jumps across to different places. Mm-hmm. Which I love about reading through your LinkedIn profile. And for our listeners, I highly recommend you check out all of the different experiences Dylan has had. We won't be able to get into all of them today. But what I love about it is that they all share one thread, and that is community, building mm-hmm. community. And so when you think about what you're doing now with this real estate company, with your brother, Jake, what is the aspect of community that you are incorporating into this business? That's a great question. Um, that's a really good question. Let me think about that the aspect of community. Well, let, me, let me back up a little. Mm-hmm. When you think about a, a recent experience with a client, what did that look like? So just for a little bit of background about our, the, the company is called Yarrow and, uh, and it's a real estate firm that's, that's uh, d- dedicated to enlivening historic properties in, in Ypsilanti. And so uh, in Ypsilanti, Michigan and Ypsilanti, um, I guess for the, I would imagine maybe there's people listening all over. So, uh, Ypsilanti is a small town. It's a commuter town. It's a lot of people, it's a, it's a cheaper place to live than a place like Ann Arbor, um, but it is its own city uh, with its own kind of spirit and beating heart. And, and that's something that I came to really understand and appreciate as we were, as we were launching the brand and, and building the company. Um, our, uh, you know, our customer right now is technically uh, the, the people who live in our, in our buildings. And we have three, we have three multifamily um, buildings, ten units total right now. So we're quite we're quite small, relatively speaking. But um, but our, you know, just to go back to and and I guess answer your question in a, in a roundabout way. Um, for me, I've always been somebody who can't have who can't have a sense of mental peace and clarity if I'm not comfortable where I am, where I live rather. So, um, you know, I had, uh, the, the, my first year of college, just to go back to that was, uh, really, really tough. Um, went through some mental health stuff, got, you know, got, uh, therapy and, and, um, it was just a, it was a very, uh, kind of, punishing year in a lot of ways, but my living situation, and and I really hope he's not listening now, my roommate, and he's a good guy. And, um, but we just had very different ways of living and we were living in this one room. And, and I found that um, I just never felt relaxed uh, in my dorm room. And 
Um, and that, I don't want to blame that for my academic performance my first year, because uh, I think that's mm -hmm. kind of a cop out. But I, I, you know, there was an extent to which when I moved into a place that where I could finally feel like take a, take a uh, deep breath and feel like I was home, that my academic performance shot up. So for me, myself, I'm somebody who needs a place that I, where I feel at home. And the, the, the tagline of Yaro of our business is a place you're proud to call home. So not just a place to call home, but where you're proud, you want to bring your family and friends. You want to say, this is look, look at this historic built-in fireplace. You know, uh, Sarah, I love that you were talking about your 1890s house because a lot of the, a lot of the properties in, in Ipsy are, uh, from that period and have a lot of historic built-ins that we love and we love those little details and we look to preserve those details and not not strip them away with some sort of ultra modern um with ultra modern finishes etc so the community part um i guess we are you know our vision and what we hope is that the place that we're saying you're proud to call home isn't just our properties, but that that place is also the city of Ypsilanti. Um, Ypsilanti is a city that um, it right now has, I believe, a 40% vacancy rate to in, de in the downtown area. And so if you go downtown to Ipsy, there are some, there are wonderful storefronts and beautiful buildings but i live in downtown ann arbor and i'm looking out my window now and there's a lot of foot traffic and you don't see that in downtown ipsy as much and so when i go to say blackstone bookstore which is one of my favorite bookstores um or uh when i went to go ice cream which recently closed as as a lot of businesses there are closing you don't see the kind of foot traffic. And as a result, businesses are, a lot of businesses are barely scraping by. So our immediate vision for Yarrow and for community is we want to, we want our properties to be a place where everybody knows everybody else, where people are neighborly, um, where if you see your, your, the person who lives in the unit next door, you have a reason to stop and have a conversation. We have a, a great communal garden at one of our properties, and that gives people a way to to be connected, a, a reason to know one another. Um, that's what we want for properties. But but looking beyond that and looking at our vision more broadly, we want Ypsilanti to be a really flourishing, vibrant city and we also understand my, me and my brother that we're not going to be the ones to we're not going to be the ones to facilitate that we're not trying to come in so i don't want to paint a narrative of we're trying to come in and reshape ypsilanti no all we're trying to do is bit bit by bit play whatever role we can in kind of building up um the community of ipsy and, and making it a place where people I guess more of a destination where people say, I want to go to Ipsy this evening. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to go, or I want to go to Blackstone bookstore and, Oh, look at this, look at these other cool local stores. So I'm going to, instead of spending just 30 minutes going to Blackstone and leaving, I'm going to spend three hours walking around downtown Ipsy. Uh, that's kind of what we're, what we're hoping for and what we're trying to build. Mm. That's that whole field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come. I think and so, yeah. If you have properties where people want to live and choose to live, then you're bringing community and and encouraging people to stay there. Exactly. I love that. That's beautiful. So tell me about um, a particular um, person or family that's living in one of your properties that makes you feel like you're doing, you're on the right track. We have, and there's, there's a, there's quite a few, um, but, you know, just to answer that question fully, I, I would say in my experience in real estate and residential real estate, I think there's two, two ways to approach it. And one way is you acquire as many properties as possible and you focus on building the biggest portfolio possible. Um, and, uh, and you don't focus too much on improvements you focus more on expanding your portfolio size and that's one way to do it and then the other way is you really you put money back into these properties to make them 
to make them better, to restore those historic features. And you really put your time and resource toward elevating a smaller portfolio and, and taking that smaller portfolio to the next level. And that's very much our uh, goal. We are not interested in, we have no interest in having a large footprint, um, you know, and, and I say this because we spent a lot of time restoring um, one of the units at our property that's called the castle. And it's, the, it's called the castle because it looks like a castle. It's right across from the Ipsy library and it, and it, uh, and it's it's just a, an incredibly unique building, but the units on the inside were had seen better days. And so when we when we bought the building, we immediately went to work um, restoring the unit and you know restoring the the original built-ins, the fireplace, making sure that the fireplace could actually work, uh, which it <laughs> didn't. At the, but then we got it working, um, and so. To go back to your question about the the tenant experience, we found we found this couple, and they're both school teachers uh, in the in the Ipsy area. And when they when they walked in uh, to the to the remodeled unit, they said uh, they said this this feels like home. And mm. when I heard that. Um, I wasn't there at the time. I, we have a uh, a property manager who d- does those tours and stuff. But but she told me she was like these people responded uh, in almost an emotional way to stepping foot in the in this um, unit. Now all our units don't look like that. Uh, but we but to hear that somebody had actually really connected with this place. Um, was so meaningful and uh and and i know all all our all our tenants um like i said it's only 10 units so i i take i make sure to know everybody and i've i've spoken to them since this young couple who's a and they're both teachers like i said and and they're right now they're getting ready because michigan winters are brutal uh really brutal and so they're getting ready to actually use that fireplace and and bring over their family and friends and so um, you know, when you're doing the work of renovation, and I'm not sure if you've done big renovation projects, but they're so incredibly fraught and stressful, and they always cost more than you think, and they take longer than you think, and you it can become a very uh, frustrating exercise where you start to question, why did I even do, like, why did I do this? Why am I, why did I, uh, how is, how am I ever going to get this unit ready? And for it to come full circle and have two people step in and immediately feel like they're home, feel comfortable is so affirming for me of, of what we're trying to do with the company. That's a perfect demonstration. That's perfect. And it comes right back full circle to what you were saying about um, being able to really fully live in who you are, only being accessible to you when you're living in a place that allows for that security and foundational con- contentedness. Yes, exactly. That's yeah. what I like. Foundational contentedness is a great, is a great term. Uh, and I didn't have, I didn't have, once I had that, my life changed. And if I can be a part of creating that for other people, um, you know, however, indirectly, I, I want to do that. Uh mm. And yeah. uh, professional, so. <laughs> in my house, I, I love to feed people and I, I, I like to contribute in that way where they come to our house and they feel suddenly this sense of home, mm. the sense of being nurtured and nourished. Mm. And that's what you're describing is providing a space for them to find that experience for themselves. Yeah. And I think um, it comes back also to that whole idea of belonging, which is a big buzzword right now. But when it comes down to it, if you feel a sense of belonging where you are, where you live, y- your life will change. And and that's straight up, especially if it's a healthy kind of belonging as opposed to a, you know, belonging to a group of people who hate being mm-hmm. belonging in a group of people who love and are curious that's that's absolutely life-changing yeah that's that's really well 
That's really well said. I agree. And I know that belonging is, I want to think more about what that word means because I know that DEI is now DEIB. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my when I think about diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, I don't know the difference between inclusion and belonging, which just shows me that I have more educating education <laughs> to, to experience. Well, a couple of resources. And um, for our listeners, there will be links to uh, these LinkedIn profiles. A couple of great resources for that are Shelly Brown with a S-H-E-L-L-E-Y mm-hmm. um, Paul Howry, H-A-U-R-Y. Let's see, who else? Um, Oslem, O-Z-L-E-M, Brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, Errol, E-R-R-O-L-L. She's from Turkey. She talks about purpose. And when you put her conversations with Paul Howry's belonging conversations and Shelly Brown's belonging conversations, you end up with um, really, truly life-changing um, language to use and perspectives when it comes to as another group uh, purpose and performance group they talk a lot about belonging they're fantastic as well they um two of their uh primary contractors or consultants luke freeman and hannah bradarud did a whole session on belonging in the um, no longer virtual event in Park City, Utah in 2022. They talked about the distinction between belonging and fitting in. Mm. So inclusion is having everybody at the table. Belonging is making sure they feel like they can contribute. (laughs) That makes, so you can feel, you can be included, but still not feel like you belong. Exactly. A belonging. Okay, that's interesting. And and when you said purpose and performance, is that a that's an entity or is that a, a group that is that like what is that? Yes. So purpose and performance group, um, they are or near there, uh, did a session on belonging and one of belonging and fitting in. Mm. And that's a really important distinction in my world. I, I've been talking about this for like 10 years. Um, fitting in doesn't mean that you belong. Fitting in means that you are changing who you are in some innate way or some minor way. It could be a huge way just so that you feel like you're part of something. Yeah. Belonging means you bring your whole self and people still value you, want you around. <clears throat> but one of the things that also comes up for me is how you asked, you know, being included versus feeling like you belong. When I worked with the university system here in Montana, I was definitely included in the high level conversations. But at one point, um, there are very few Jewish people here in Montana, especially in Helena. And this was probably 15 years ago. I brought the Jewish braided bread called challah um, to, to the, my office at uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the biggest Jewish holiday of the year. It's the the Jewish New Year, and it's generally September, October. And so that time of year, we make our challah round like a wreath, and it's beautiful. And it usually has like sweet dried fruit in it and honey. It's to represent the the new year and the cyclical life of, of time. And I remember bringing it in, and I wrote this email to the whole 50 of us in the agency. It was a very small agency, about 50 of us. And I said, hey, I brought this challah to um, share with you. And this is what the Jewish culture is about. And this is what we're celebrating this time of year. And a little while later, I got a call to come to the HR director's office. And he said, well, we heard a complaint about the email you sent. And I said, oh, did you explain to them that it was culture? It wasn't about religion. It was, you know, to share my culture. And he said, no, I didn't. And I said, why not? And he said, well, it really was inappropriate. Whoa. And I said, what was inappropriate about it? And he said, well, it's it's a religious. And I said, no, it wasn't religious. It was an explanation of my holiday. And we are the university system. So I thought that would be perfectly appropriate. He said, no, you, you can't send messages like that anymore. And I said, okay, good to know. Does that mean that we won't be setting up a Christmas tree this year in our lobby. Mm -hmm. 
And I can't, I won't expect to see an email from the governor's office letting us all know that the Christmas tree ornaments are ready for this year's um, employees to to purchase. Well, yeah. We won't get that email, right? And he said, that's different. I said, how is that different? And he said, well, Christmas tree isn't religious. And I said, well, to Jewish people, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the difference between inclusion and belonging <laughs> right there. That's a great, that is a great illustration. Yes. And as a fellow Jewish person myself, that's that, that resonates because I would always wonder, I always, growing up, I would wonder why, why Hanukkah would happen when we had school. Cause obviously Hanukkah happens at, at different times mm-hmm. of the year and, and sometimes it wouldn't coincide with winter break. And, uh, yeah, that just that double standard is, uh, is, uh, that helps me understand belonging better. <laughs> but I'm also de- I'm also absolutely going to check out the re- you know Shelley Brown and Paul Howery and the resources that you mentioned because I just feel that you know the uh, one of the things that I'm missing out on not being in school is a new set of vocabulary, especially around um, equity, diversity, all of it, and just I, I what I don't want to lose as I get older is the spirit of. Um, of uh of not knowing and and being eager to learn and and something something that i notice and you know as people get older i think that there's not to overgeneralize but i think there's people who get older and become more hardened and fixed in their beliefs and then there's people who get older and become like softened and and opened up and and my grand my grandfather who's still living is very much that that way where he's just so He's just so open and eager to learn and evolve and be com- as compassionate as he can be. And I, I, I hope to, uh, I hope to evolve in the same way. So as you were talking about um, the, uh, these resources around belonging, I was uh, scribbling down. <laughs> I love it. I New love reading. it. Yeah. And once you start reading those people, Brooke Errol and Paul and Shelley, you'll see, and, and Luke and Hannah, you'll see um, even more people talking about this in ways that are really approachable for businesses that it it's not something it's not so woo woo it's not so touchy feely it's about the benefits to the people who work together and and how that actually makes a, a business much stronger and more successful more innovative a lot more potential for long term goal setting and achieving so mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to love these people and that circle of friends. I'm looking forward to hearing um, how you experience that. Yeah, and that's uh, that's that's wonderful. And to me, just thinking about the corporate, um, one of the one of the most important things for me, and I have my experience before creating this company was in branding. And brand identity, and just creating a, uh, you know, how do you create a an authentic brand image uh, that you can put out there and stand behind one hundred percent? And to me, it all centers around that word authenticity. Um, and if you, if as a brand you espouse a set of values that you so clearly do not live by internally, you know, or if you, mm-hmm. if you champion diversity in a performative way but not a really meaningful way so for instance if you're a marketing agency and you and you have a you know a a well-funded deib arm and yet nobody in your uh at the c level and above is a person of color or a person of who's bringing a diverse or or underrepresented perspective to the table then you're not really you're not fully committed to to diversity and inclusion. So for me, with this company, um, with Yaro, I wanted to make sure that everything that we're saying is something that we can stand behind. I I didn't want any of our messaging to be aspirational, um, to be, uh, well, aspirational is fine, but, but I guess I didn't want anything to be like something we could one day not, not live by. And so, for me, you know, with Yara, we are a business and we are, we need to make money. We need to collect rent. We need to, it, we need to be a landlord in one way, which is the 
we are, it is transactional in the sense that you are living in our properties, paying us, and we are in in turn providing you with a place, as we say, that you're proud to call home. Um, so what I don't want to do is 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 set a vision for Yaro that's disingenuous, um, that says we're going to, uh, you know, we, we're moving, we want housing to be free for, for everybody. Cause that's, I would love, I mean, I would love for, <laughs> I would love for housing to be free for everybody, right. but, th- but that's not something that we are, what we're going to work toward is making beautiful and really live highly livable places accessible to people who are tired of paying um, exorbitant amounts in places like Ann Arbor. So what we're committed to is always keeping our pricing attainable for that school teacher, you know, for somebody who is not making a big tech salary. And, and so I guess just for me, what is authentic for me is knowing what our values are and, and sticking to them and, and not getting too, um, uh, self-important about things that I won't be able to deliver on, you know? Right. Yes. I love that. Years ago, uh, probably two years ago, I interviewed Kenny Aronoff, who's one of the top 100 drummers of our time, according to Rolling Stone. I interviewed him uh-huh. on my podcast. And I asked him how he stayed humble because this guy, he plays with Melissa Etheridge and he's played with Smashing Pumpkins and he toured with John Cougar Mellencamp for 10 years. Like this guy could play with anyone at any time. And I said, how do you stay humble? And he said, I wake up every day knowing I could be better. I could be even a better drummer. I have to keep working at it. Wow. And I laughed because it was right after um, I had had a, a keynote that went very, very well. And I was still working my regular job at the city. And I remember going into the building and no one knowing what I had just accomplished. And it felt very humbling because I wasn't going to tell them. And then I told Kenny, I said, you know how I stay humble? I came home and I cleaned my own bathroom. I scrubbed (laughs) my own toilet and there is nothing more humbling. And he said, well, I don't do that. And I said, I know you don't do that. (laughs) But it was. But there is nothing more humbling than that. Or, or, you know, for me, I'm, I am a big cleaner and uh, like, that's my way of de-stressing, vacuuming. uh, You know, I, I have very big hair so it gets everywhere um uh, and uh just you vacuuming I love it <laughs> thanks yeah it's, I've, I've i've embraced the uh the 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 jewish uh hair. i've fully embraced it and there was a time where i was self-conscious about my hair being you know a, a combination Perfect. of curly and frizzy and now now it's now i can't now when it's short i don't feel like myself so <laughs> well for our listeners i'll take a, a screenshot i forgot to do that when i interviewed another friend last week, but um, I'm going to definitely take a screenshot so we can see ourselves. So um, one last question that came back into my head, uh, the word Yarrow. And Mm -hmm. the reason it startled me was because um, Yarrow is a plant, a medicinal plant. And in Montana, it grows wild all over the mountains near us. And it has... um, traditional medicinal use by uh, many native tribes in this area. It is, uh, I think it's an anti-inflammatory, the root. You That's right. The root. Mm-hmm. So why Yarrow for the, the name of your company? For us, there's a number of, uh, there's a number of reasons that it's a great question. I could go on, on and on and on. And I'll try to make it as succinct as possible. We worked with a, we worked with a, a great branding, a uh, branding and marketing agency called SunUp uh, Studio SunUp that's based in Chicago, and they were the ones who came up with the name. They came up with the name based on understanding our mission, values, and the kind of experience that we want to deliver. They put a number of names in front of us, so the process of company naming is, uh, and I've done some of it, and I'm I'm no good at coming up with names as a brand strategist. That's like my weakest point. I, I can't do it. But they, but they did it, and they put six names in front of us. Um, and just to give you an example of some of the other names, what, what we could have gone with, Metal Mark was one of the names, Copper Link. Uh, Centurion, which would have played on our name, Centi. And we immediately s- said, we don't want that one because it, for me, I mean, 
I don't know, my brother and I are two cisgender white males in real estate. There's nothing exciting or interesting about that. Like if I'm, if I'm outside looking in <laughs> and I'm seeing two guys like me and my brother championing their name and putting their name out there, I personally would think, uh, eh, that kind of falls flat to me. So, um, Yarrow, the reason we chose Yarrow, it was several reasons. It didn't, it didn't resonate as strongly with me. I will be honest as it did with, with my brother. Um, the really decisive voice, the, 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 or the decisive vote, I guess, was my brother's wife. She responded really well to it and she's way smarter than me or my brother for sure, <laughs> either of us. So she, and she's somebody who's really devoted to, 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 um, to just creating a better world for underserved people. And she wants to be a public defender and uh, is, is just a wonderful uh, person and not, you know, she's not embedded in business stuff that doesn't have any interest in that, but she responded really well to Yarrow. And I think the reason is because Yarrow, it just reads as unpretentious, attainable, um, and then, yes, the fact that it does have medicinal use, that it is associated with relaxation, that it's a flower. We just wanted something that was very indicative of home. Um, and it, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not a an incredible, like, uh, an incredibly, I don't know what the word would be, ornate flower. It's more, uh, it just reminds me of what it is to be in the Midwest, which is like, it's there. It grows. It's unpretentious. It's helpful. Um, you can put it in tea and drink it, and 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 it's nice to have around. And that's kind of how we wanted the brand to to present. So that's why we did. That's why we went with that name. I love it. I remember when we first moved here. Um, it, it the the white yarrow. It comes in white and yellow and mm -hmm. purple, and the white yarrow looks a lot like Queen Anne's lace. Yes, and I remember yeah, exactly. Yes, I remember growing up, it has the that fern-like leaf to it. Mm -hmm. And I remember growing up in, well, I spent some time in Colorado, and my mom would point out the Queen Anne's Lace because it was so pretty. And so when I first moved here, I thought it was Queen Anne's Lace and then learned more about yarrow and started uh, digging into, literally and figuratively, digging mm -hmm. into the dirt and and learning more about the Native American tribes that use it. And I remember this moment of realizing that Queen Anne's lace is poisonous. Exactly. And yarrow is good for us. And exactly. sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. <laughs> and I love that yarrow is the the less pretentious of the flower and that it it grows in beautiful ways. And it's one of the things the deer don't eat here. <laughs> so <laughs> we have a lot of it. <laughs> It's funny you mentioned the Queen's and Queen Anne's lace because I have a, I had an intern who worked for me on all on a lot of the brand identity stuff over the summer and that video you saw he shot all the footage in that except for the motion graphics we worked with a, a different team for that but um, he went and he went on an expedition around Michigan to find Yarrow so that was what he did one one weekend uh, on his paid internship I said go like take as many hours as you need, find Yarrow and just photograph it. And it was a beautiful summer weekend. And, uh, and he, he, he said, he said, I remember he sent me a text and he said, I found Yarrow in full bloom. And, um, I got so much footage and, and we looked through it and it was amazing footage. And then we realized, wait a minute, that it's Queen Anne's lace. It's, this is not Yarrow. <laughs> we can't work with this. So we have all of this really spectacular footage of Queen Anne's lace. That's, com <laughs> that's completely unusable. But if somebody, if one of your listeners creates a brand that's built around, you know, I don't know, that wants to artfully incorporate poison or, or danger and <laughs> Queen Anne's lace, we have footage. Uh, we can give it to you. <laughs> we can't, we can't use it. Um, oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, in the spring and early summer, ping me and I'll take a whole bunch of pictures and video of yarrow here yeah. in Montana because it's really, it, it it shows up all over the mountain that I hike on almost every day. So, Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, Dylan, this has been such a treat. I I love interviewing people that I would otherwise never have met. And the fact that you reached out to me and uh, I had immediately decided, oh, this is somebody I definitely need to meet. Mm, and thank you. 
So I'm not surprised that this has been such a lovely conversation. And I am honored that the that you had listened to a few episodes and then reached out and said, I liked your format. It sounds like something that could be fun. So I I just really appreciate your time. Likewise, I th- I feel so privileged to be able to talk to you and especially having listened to your shows. It's it's odd to then step into the a format that you've become accustomed to listening to. But um, yeah, you're 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 great at what you do. And I feel it's been a really special to be able to reflect. Uh, and today is the day after Thanksgiving. I'm not sure when when this will run, but um, but just to be able to reflect on the day after Thanksgiving of these opportunities that I'm so grateful for, like the school that I went to, the family that I have, the fact that I get to do this thing with my brother, and then and then always and then just continue learning and and as and stay humble. You know, I I certainly uh, I had there are many 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 things day to day that remind me to stay humble, whether I, <laughs> whether I choose to listen to those those signs or not. So um, really appreciate your time as well. I love it. Well, listeners, now it's your turn. When you think about a brand, maybe you could turn that around and consider your own personal brand. Or if you don't like that buzz phrase, you can use the word reputation. What are you putting out there to demonstrate who you are and what matters to you? What stories are you telling? What images are you sharing? What are you doing on social media? Because all of what you do are making stories for other people to consider who you are. And if you are putting things out there that aren't in alignment with how you want to experience yourself and how you want others to experience you, then you're going to feel a disconnect and extreme dissatisfaction in relationships and in life. So I encourage you, think about what your reputation is and what you want it to be. And really consider how your behavior, your actions, and what you share contribute to who you believe you are, how you experience yourself, and how the people in your life get to experience you. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.